You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're in part four of a series that we've been in for the past few weeks uh, in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And last week we talked about making a difference with our lives. We talked about this idea that often the burden that you feel, often the thing that weighs on your heart will be the very thing that drives you to make a difference in someone else's life, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. But here's something I've discovered. If you set out to make a difference with your life, if you set out to do something for the kingdom of God, to serve his purposes, you will inevitably experience some opposition. You will face some pushback. Scripture tells us that we find ourselves in a spiritual battle. In fact, if you look at Scripture, we see examples of this. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden in Genesis. They're serving God. When the serpent comes along, the devil comes in the form of a serpent to oppose them. They had opposition, right? Moses had Pharaoh. David had Goliath. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus had the Pharisees and King Herod and the demons. Lots of opposition. Batman had the Joker. Hello. Spider-Man had the Green Goblin, all right? I know these aren't biblical examples, but you get the point. And Nehemiah faced opposition in the form of at least two people, two guys named Sam Ballot and Tobiah, who opposed his work. We're going to talk more about them in just a moment. Today, I want to talk to you about standing strong in the face of adversity. Standing strong in the face of adversity when you set out to make a difference with your life, to serve God's purposes with your life. And so let's talk about standing strong in the face of adversity. Now, let me give you a little context, a little reminder of what's happening in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah lived during the time of exile. When the people of Israel were living in exile, what had happened is over a century before Nehemiah's life, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, burned the gates, left the city in rubble, really destroyed the national identity of the people of Israel and carried many of the people off into captivity in Babylon. Well, later on, the Persian empire overtakes the Babylonian Empire. And Nehemiah finds himself as an official serving the king of Persia. He's a cupbearer to the king. Now, some of the people over the generations had been allowed to return to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And Nehemiah's brother comes back to him to bring word of how things are going in Jerusalem. And when he finds out his things aren't going well, there's no momentum, the, the walls are still broken down, the gates are burned, the city is in disrepair. And Nehemiah's heart is broken over the desolate condition of his people. And so he goes to the king and he asks the king, for permission to go back to Jerusalem to lead the effort to rebuild the walls. And God gives him favor with the king. The king grants him permission, gives him favor and resources. And so he goes and he travels to Jerusalem. He surveys the damage and he gathers the remnant of people there, the leaders and the elders and the people, and he organizes them. He casts the vision for rebuilding the walls and God blesses it. And the people begin to gather together as we read last week and they begin to rebuild the walls. And in chapter three, we read about how the work is beginning to unfold and the walls are going up and they're making amazing progress. Everything is going great until we get to chapter four and two local officials there named Sanballat and Tobiah, they show up and they begin criticizing the work and eventually making threats 
against the people. And in the midst of this adversity, we're going to read how Nehemiah, he steps up, he doesn't back down, and he leads strong. And I really believe we can learn some powerful lessons from his example. And so today, I want to give you five keys to standing strong in the face of adversity. When you set out to make a difference for God with your life, when you set out to serve God's purposes in your generation, when you serve out, when you step out to make your life about serving the kingdom of God, you can expect some opposition. And I want to give you five keys to standing strong in the face of adversity. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, you can expect opposition. You can expect opposition. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means you're probably doing things just about right. Let's look at what happened in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So they start talking trash to Nehemiah and the group of people who are coming together, the Jews who are coming together to rebuild the wall. Sanballat and Tobiah, they tried to discourage the workers. Basically, they said, you've failed in the past. You've made no momentum in the past. You're unproven. You're inexperienced. Your goal to rebuild these walls is unrealistic. Who do you think you are? Like, you are doomed to fail. Even if a fox jumped up on the wall, he would knock over those little wussy walls that you're building right now. They begin to try to discourage them. Here's the idea. When the work goes down, the opposition goes up. You got to expect opposition. When the work begins to go down, it's often when the opposition goes up. It's the time when the enemy will attack. Some of you are attempting a great work with your life. Some of you are attempting to pursue God's purposes in your life, with your life, to make a difference with your life. How many of you have discovered that when you set out to do something worth doing, you often experience opposition? Am I the only one? The obstacles begin to come into your life. It may be something as simple as you decide to prioritize being in church on Sunday. Like you've made a decision with your family. We are going to be in the house of God with the family of God. Like it's a priority for us to worship. And the minute you declare that as your goal, everything in the world will try to stop you from getting to church. Maybe you, you've decided you're going you're gonna to get out of debt, get your finances in order so you can become generous to the things of God. The minute you make that your goal, all hell will break loose. You'll have some kind of financial emergency. Maybe you decided to make a difference through serving on one of our teams. And the very first Sunday that you sign up to serve on the guest services parking lot team, that just happens to be the very day that a torrential downpour happens and you get soaked and you forgot your umbrella. Like the minute you step out, you begin to experience some opposition. Maybe you decide to share an idea of how you can make a difference with your life, a dream that God puts in your heart with a loved one, and they shoot your idea down. They're like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Like, who are you to think? 
think you could do that thing. When the work goes down, often the opposition goes up. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Advancement invites opposition. You can expect it. I think so many times believers have this sense like I'm doing something wrong when I face opposition. But let me just tell you, it often comes with the territory. If you want to live an opposition-free life, let me give you the secret. Don't attempt to do anything for God. Don't attempt to make any difference with your life. Just coast through life. Don't pray. Don't serve. Don't give. Don't care about the things that God cares about. I promise you the enemy will leave you alone. When you're on the sidelines and not in the game, the enemy won't bother you at all. When you're not in the spiritual battle, you won't encounter any opposition at all. Just, just do enough spiritual things to make you feel good about yourself and not make a difference, and your life will be opposition-free. There you go. That's, that's the secret. See, when you step out, the enemy will often step in and try to stop you. We see that all throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy will try to stop you from serving, from giving, from prioritizing the things of God, from inviting your unchurched friends to, to come to church. You can expect it. Come on, turn to somebody and say, expect it. You can expect it. Here's the second thing. Number two, take it to God. Take it to God. When you experience opposition, how do you stand strong in the face of adversity? you got to take it to God. Look at this. Let's notice how Nehemiah responds to the criticism, how Nehemiah responds to these verbal attacks. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Here's Nehemiah's prayer. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah goes to God in prayer. Now, let's be honest. His prayer is a little bit vindictive, okay? Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. But can we be honest? Sometimes we would love to pray Old Testament prayers over our enemies, right? Like turn their insults back on their heads. I love some of the Psalms of David. Smash the teeth of the wicked, O God. I could pray some prayers like that. I could get down with those prayers. Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. But here's what I want you to recognize, that Nehemiah, he takes it to God. He takes the criticism and the pushback to God. Nehemiah doesn't respond to his haters. Instead, he cries out to God. Sometimes responding to the haters and criticizers in your life, it only gives them power and attention, which is the very thing that they want. In fact, as the great theologian and philosopher Taylor Swift once said, haters going to hate, 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 hate. I'm just going to shake, shake it off. That's really good advice. We can all remember that. And now that song is stuck in your head for the rest of this message. A few years ago, in the early years of our church, I think our church was probably just a year or two old, um, there was a woman who came and joined our church and started serving on the team. This is back in the movie theater days when our church started at the AMC Theater. And this lady started serving in our church, and she friended me on Facebook. And she was really just toxic on Facebook, just always posting negative things and just the kind of person you don't want to see in your feed. You know what I'm talking about? And so I politely, gently, and quietly unfriended her. Now, this was back before they had the unfollow feature. How many of you are thankful and blessed by God for the unfollow feature, which doesn't let people know that you unfriended them? You're still friends with them. You just don't have to see their trash all up in your feed, okay? Well, this was back before those days. And so I didn't say anything to her. I didn't debate her on social media. I just didn't want that toxicity on my Facebook feed. And so I quietly unfriended her. Well, that Sunday, she came up to me. I mean, she made a beeline for me in the lobby 
lobby at the AMC theater. She said, Pastor, did you unfriend me on Facebook? I'm like, I'm getting ready to get up and preach, right? I'm like, can we talk about this after service? She's like, that was so unchristian of you. How do you call yourself a pastor? That is the most ungodly thing something someone would ever do. To, I mean, you would have thought I cursed her. You would have thought I excommunicated her from the church, okay? Woman is all up in my face, and I'm thinking, I'm about to get the ushers to take you in the back room and rough you up a little bit, okay? Redemption wasn't so civilized back then. We were a brand new church plant, okay? If you were around on those days, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And two years later, she was still hot about it. She wrote me an email and blasted me. You're what's wrong with pastors these days. You're a fake. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I mean, she was going after me. And you know what? I didn't respond. I recognized that she was a hurt person, and there was things she, were hurt, she was hurt about that had very little to do with me. But what do you do when you face criticism? I'm, I'm talking about good criticism, constructive criticism, people who care about you, who are helping to make you a better person. What, what do you do? You ignore the critics and you do the will of God. Nehemiah had this sense of like, I'm not moved by what people think. I'm moved by what God thinks about me. I'm more concerned about what God thinks about me than what people think about me. Can I save you some trouble in life? I wonder how that would change things. I wonder how much pain that would save so many of us in life if we, if we begin to care more about what God God thought about us than what people thought about us. It would clarify your decisions. It would save a lot of you from getting caught up in heartache and pain and drama. It would help you to make some really good decisions if you cared more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. We don't answer to critics. We answer to God. Instead of engaging on a lower level, we turn to a higher power. We don't go low. We go high. We go to God in prayer, and we trust him. That's what Nehemiah did, and that's what we need to do in our lives. Here's the third thing. Number three, stay focused on the work. How do you stand strong in the face of adversity? When you step out to do something for God, I've lived enough life. I've done enough ministry to know you will inevitably face some pushback, some opposition. What do you do? Number three, you stay focused on the work that God has called you to. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. Here's what it says. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. I love the New American Standard translation of verse six. It says, for the people had a mind to work. We set our mind on the work. We stayed focused on the work. What does Nehemiah do in the face of adversity? He prayed to God and he got back to work. That's the word for somebody today. Pray to God, turn to God, and then stay focused and get back to work on the thing that God has called you to do. Nehemiah and the people didn't let the criticism take them off course. They didn't let it take them off track. They got back to work. They didn't lower themselves into responding to the critics because they had a higher calling. Can I say that to you today, church? Like you don't have to lower yourself to respond to every critic who comes into your life. You don't have to say yes to every argument that you're invited to. Did you know that? You can pass. You can say, I'm too busy. I'm too focused. I'm focused on what God has for me to do. I'm not sinking down into it because I recognize I have a higher calling on my life to pursue the things of God, to do the work of God, to make a difference with my life. Amen. Because God is working through me and using me. 
And so next week, we're going to come back, sneak preview for next week's message. We're going to come back and talk some more about that. But I want to encourage you, stay focused on the work. I talk to people all the time who are sidetracked by every insult, sidetracked by every person's opinion about them, sidetracked by every little piece of drama. You can pass by. You don't have to get sucked down into it when you recognize there's a higher calling over your life. You pass over it, and you stay focused on the work that God has set before you. Here's the fourth thing. How do we, is this helping anybody today? Just practical wisdom. I, I love Nehemiah. He was just a simple guy, just laser focused on what God called him to do. So many great principles we can learn from his life. Here's the fourth thing. How do we stay strong in the face of adversity when we face adversity as we pursue the things of God for our life? Number four, you got to protect the project. Come on, everybody say that. Protect the project. Doesn't that just sound good? Just rolls off the tongue. Protect the project. What do we mean? Look at verse 9. I want you to see what Nehemiah does next. It says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They didn't like the progress in the face of their insults. Look at verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And look at verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Nehemiah says, we prayed and we posted. We prayed and we posted. He didn't just pray. He posted a guard day and night to protect the project, to protect the work. What I love about Nehemiah is he was both spiritual and rational and logical. He was spiritual. He prayed. He sought God, but he was also rational in that he posted a guard. Come on, we're called to be both. Some people are too spiritual, and they need to be a little bit more rational. Some people are too rational, and they need to be a little bit more spiritual. Nehemiah says we prayed, but we also posted. Like he was determined to protect the project, the work that God had put on his heart to undertake. And can I just encourage you today, church, you, you got to protect the project that God has called you to as well, whatever he's called you to do with your life. You know, my dad was a pastor down in Louisiana uh, in the New Orleans area where I grew up. And we went through this season where our church was getting broken into. Like repeatedly, people were breaking into the church, stealing things, like damaging our property. And my dad was going to the police and they were being a little bit slow to respond and it was happening over and over again. And at one point in time, my dad actually ended up going on stakeout, like him and a detective, like they camped out at the church until they eventually like solved this crime and they figured out who was doing it. Like my dad had this sense, like I gotta protect what God has called me to build. He had to step up and literally protect the church building. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying become paranoid and fearful and defensive and overreactive to everything and every, everybody. No, be wise. Be wise. But, but at some point in time, there are times when we have to step up and Protect what God has called us to build. You got to protect your, your marriage. You, you got to protect your pursuit of that graduate degree so you can pursue that thing that God put in your heart to do. You, you got to pr- protect your desire to be generous toward the things of God. You got to protect your family and raise your kids to know Jesus. You have to protect yourself from all of the forces that will pull you away from pursuing what God has called you to pursue, from prioritizing the things of God. Because everything will come against you. 
Everything in this culture will come against you. Every temptation and distraction and sinful desire will come along to try to knock, knock you off track from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And you got to protect. you gotta, you got to understand that there is a great work, a great project unfolding in your life. It's your life lived for the glory of God. And you got to protect that. That is worth protecting. That is, a, that is worth building and protecting. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He said, this is to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What does that mean? Jesus warned his disciples. He said, I'm sending you out into a fallen world. There's going to be danger. There's going to be opposition. Therefore, I want you to be wise. I want you to understand the way this world works. But I also want you to be innocent. I don't want your heart to become influenced by the way this world works. I don't want you to play the game the way the world plays this game, but I want you to be, to be wise and recognize the opposition and the challenges that you're going to face. And let me just tell you, as a shepherd, as a pastor, I'm called to protect this flock from disunity, from unbiblical teaching, from wolves who will try to infiltrate our ranks. And that means every now and then I have to sit down and have a difficult conversation with someone and say, hey, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're acting, it's not promoting unity in our church. And sometimes that conversation goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. And over the years, there have been people who will not submit to the leadership of our church and won't promote unity, and we've had to politely show them to the door. And you'd be surprised. I get emails from crazy uh, ministries, quote-unquote, that would love to try to come here and bring unbiblical truth to our church and cause confusion. Let me tell you something. I am a grace preacher, but do not mess with my sheep. I will become like a sheepdog. I'll be, I'll be on you like white on rice. You'll be shaking me off like a sheepdog. God has called me to protect this flock. God has called me to shepherd this flock. Anything with teeth bites. If you come at my sheep, I will bite you. <laughs> because I'm called to, to protect, not to overreact, not to have an ego, not to react to every little criticism that comes along. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight to protect what God has called me to shepherd. And you got to do the same thing for whatever God has called you to build with your life. God, give me wisdom. Even as you said, you're sending me out into this fallen world. Give me wisdom to protect what's worth protecting, to recognize what is worth protecting, the, the work that is underway in my life. Here's the fifth thing. We're talking about how do we stand strong in the face of adversity. Number five is this. Remember that God is fighting for you. This point brings so much clarity to the last point. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Remember that God is the one who is fighting for you. Look at this, verse 10 and 12. Let's see what happens next. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Notice that the people of Israel, the, the, the Jews are beginning to repeat the threats. They're beginning to spread the threats that they've heard. Look at verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You see, the people begin to doubt that they can get the work done. The Jews begin to repeat the very threats that they've heard. And how many of you know that internal doubt is worse than external opposition? The only thing that hurts worse than other people opposing you is internal doubt. And sometimes we face that, don't we? Sometimes we face self-doubt. Sometimes 
We set out to do something with our lives that's worth doing, to do something that's God-honoring, a goal that we're pursuing, some, some kind of way we want to make a difference with our lives. And what do we begin to do? We begin to have self-doubt. I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to be a faithful attender of church, a faithful giver, to serve, to be the Christian that God wants me to be. I always, I always fall short. I, I never come up. We can begin to face self-doubt. And what's worse than the people out there opposing us is sometimes we face opposition from the people that we love. Sometimes we face opposition from, from the people closest to us. The thing that hurts worse than people out there opposing us is the people who are closest to us saying things that are hurtful, not believing in what God has called us to do. And I want you to notice how Nehemiah responds. Look at this, verse 13 and 14. It says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. There's the rational, logical side. That's the pray and post side of Nehemiah. And then look at verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fire. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What does Nehemiah do? He takes the focus off of himself. He takes the focus off of his enemies, off of the threats, and he turns his focus back to God. He, he basically, in a sense, says, my focus is not on what the criticizers and the haters and those who are attacking me have to say. I remember what God did for me. He says to the people, remember what God did for me. And I just, I kind of picture Nehemiah beginning to recount the faithfulness of God. I remember what God did for me when I went to the king with a broken heart for my people. And God's gracious hand was upon me. And he moved the heart of the king. And the king gave me permission to come. I remember how the king not only gave me permission, but he gave me resources and he wrote letters of protection. I remember how God's hand was upon me as I traveled from the Persian, the city that I lived in in Persia to, to the city of Jerusalem. And I remember how I got here and God gave me favor with the people, how he gathered them and God helped me bring the people together in unity. And I remember how when the work began to unfold, it began to happen at a rapid pace. God's hand was upon it. I remember the faithfulness of God upon my life. And church, let me tell you, this is what we have to do. I've experienced this so many times in, in my life. I, I know what it is to experience opposition. I know what it is to experience pushback. I know what it is to experience criticism. It's happened to me many times over the years. And there are times when I get discouraged, just like you. And you know what I have to do in those moments? So often I have to begin to recount the faithfulness of God in my life. God, I remember how when I was just a young man, just a teenager, and I felt your call on my life. And I didn't quite know what that meant, but I gave my whole life over to you. And you were faithful. Your hand was upon me as I went to Bible college. Your hand was upon me when I set out and began to pastor. God, I remember how I stepped out and I quit my full-time teaching job to, to go into full-time ministry. And you made a way for me. And you provided for, 
for my family. God, I remember what it was like to move to Westchester with my pregnant wife and two kids and didn't have the finances, didn't have the people, didn't know how it was gonna happen. But God, you made a way when there seemed like there was no way. You sent the people, you sent the provision. God, I remember when our church went through COVID and it seemed like we were gonna lose everything, everything we had poured our lives into. But God, you kept your hand upon us and our church came back stronger and better than ever before. God, I remember, church, you got to begin to do that. God, I remember your faithfulness in my life. You kept your hand on my life during that situation. You kept your hand on my kids. You made a way for me. You opened the door. You gave me a new job. You got me through that sickness, God. Your presence carried me through that situation. I was able to hold on to you when I didn't have the answers. You sent me a church family. You put some people around me. You got some people in my corner to pray for me. God, I remember. God, I'm remembering your faithfulness over my life. When it gets tough, you're going to need something to think about. When it gets tough, you're going to need something to think about. You might as well predetermine that you're going to meditate on the faithfulness of our good God. You're going to remember. You're going to hold on to the faithfulness of God. Here's the idea. The greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. The greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. I've discovered in the most difficult times, it's often when God does his best work in our lives. It's often when God shows up. When you need a miracle, it's just about the best time for God to show up in your life. You got to know that ultimately God is fighting for you. Sometimes the battles that we face in life, they seem so overwhelming. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, sometimes it just comes in waves and there's things that just overwhelm us in our personal life in our finances, in our physical health, and in your marriage if you're married, or with your, your family, with your kids if you're a parent. And sometimes, doesn't it seem so overwhelming trying to hold it all together? Like sometimes we just seem so weird. Can I just encourage you today? The battle belongs to the Lord. We trust in Him. We go to Him. The battle belongs to the Lord. The fight is not all yours. And look at verse 14. Here's what Nehemiah says. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, knowing that God is fighting for you. Fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Come on, Nehemiah says, remember the Lord your God and fight. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your marriage. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your healing. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your freedom. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your purpose. Keep fighting for the poor, for the lost, for the broken. Keep fighting for God's calling and purpose over your life. Remember the Lord your God and fight, knowing that ultimately God is the one working on your behalf. God is the one fighting alongside of you. That's what we see all throughout the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah is really about a bunch of ordinary people setting out to do something ordinary, but with God's help working behind the scenes, they're able to do something extraordinary. Amen? A bunch of ordinary people doing something extraordinary because God was fighting for them and working behind the scenes. And so let me tell you this. Let me help somebody today. Whenever you set out to do something with your life, that matters. Whenever you set out to pursue the purpose of God for your life, to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God with your life, to prioritize the things of God, you can expect a battle. Scripture tells us we're in a spiritual battle. You can expect opposition. 
you can expect pushback. You can expect criticism. You can expect even friends and family to raise an eyebrow every now and then and not understanding your decisions. You can expect the opposition. It doesn't always mean you're doing something wrong. I'm not saying do something stupid. You should have some good people around you who can speak some real wisdom into your life. I'm just saying, sometimes when you're doing the right thing, often when you're doing the right thing to serve God, you're gonna experience some opposition. And it usually means you're doing it just about right. And our prayer is this, God, help me to be ready to do what you called me to do. Because if you're not ready to face opposition, you're not ready to be used by God. I've lived this, I know this. And so our prayer is, God, help me to be ready to do what you've called me to do with my life, to make a difference in someone else's life, to serve your purpose in my generation. What is God putting on your heart to do? Maybe something small, maybe something big. I don't know what it is for you. It may be something as simple as giving or serving or praying more, or leading your family to have a closer relationship with God. It may be something big. It might be going back to school to pursue a graduate degree. It may be changing your career path. It may just be taking everything that you're doing and saying, God, I want to be more intentional that I'm stewarding what I'm doing with my career and my finances and my time and my energy toward your glory, toward your kingdom. Am I making a kingdom impact with my life? And maybe God is speaking to you in some way. Maybe it's a cause. Maybe it's a, a need right in your own sphere of influence within your friends and your family, and God's calling you to make a difference. Can I just encourage you today? Don't give up. Don't give up. The scripture says, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep building one day at a time, one stone at a time. Stay focused. Remember the Lord your God. Remember the gracious hand of our God that's upon your life. And fight. Protect the project. Stay focused. Tune out the voice of the haters. Don't go low. Remember you have a higher calling and stay focused on the work that God has called you to do. Would you stand with me this morning in a moment of prayer? Would you stand with me and just bow your head as we close in prayer, as we close this message in prayer this morning, just a moment between you and God. Maybe some of you in this place, you're facing opposition in different forms. Maybe some of you, you're seeking to honor God with your life. You're trying your utmost to walk with God, to honor Him with your decisions, to pursue the things of God, to prioritize the ways of God for your life, for your family. And you're experiencing some pushback, some opposition, maybe some stress, some fear, some doubt, some anxiety. And, and if that's you, if you're facing some form of opposition today, come on, just with your head bowed for just a moment. In, in God's presence today. If that's you, if you say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm facing some kind of opposition today and I know I need the presence of God. I know I need the strength of God. I know I need the spirit of God to do what God has called me to do, to be the person he's called me to be, to be the spouse he's called me to be if you're married, the parent he's called you to be, the son, the brother, the sister, the friend, the child of God. If you'd say, that's me, Pastor Jeremy, would you just pray for me today? I need the strength of God. Would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking at you today. I just want to know, am I getting through to anybody today. Pastor Jeremy, pray for me. That's me today. Thank you. Hands going up all over the place today. Pray for me today, Pastor. I need God's strength in my life. I, wanna, I want God to use my life. I want to make a difference with my life. I want to pray for you today. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your 
good and gracious hand that is upon our lives. And Lord, today, we choose to take the burden to you today. We choose to take the weariness to you today. We choose to take the stress and the anxiety and the opposition and the criticism and the pushback. And Lord, we we give it to you today, recognizing that, God, we're not going to get caught up in it. We're not going low and getting caught up in it, but we're going to rise above it because we have a higher calling on our lives. Father, I'm praying strength to your people today, hope to your people today, that you're renewing hearts and minds today. God, we thank you that the scripture says, not by might, not by power, by your spirit. It's your spirit that strengthens us to do what you've called us to do, to be who you've called us to be. So right now, even in the face of adversity, God, we recognize that our most difficult times are often the best time for you to show up and work in our lives. And so we're calling upon you today. We're doing what Nehemiah did. We're lifting our eyes to you today, and we choose to remember your faithfulness. We recount the faithfulness of God. Lord, you've done it before and you can do it again. We think about all the times you've kept your hand upon us. And God, we thank you that you are with us now and that you go before us and you're fighting alongside of us. Father, I thank you for it today. I pray for every person in this place who's a follower of Jesus, a child of God, that you strengthen them as they pursue your calling and your purpose over their lives to make a difference in this generation. We thank you for it, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.